Hello, Dungeon Masters. Welcome back to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim. I'm the Dungeon Master. And I want to say sorry that it's been so long since the last campaign planning episode. But here we are. It is February and uh, we have some stuff to talk about. So this is not a campaign actual play episode. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with these, what I'm going to do here now is be very candid about things that are happening, I guess, things that have happened in the God's Eye campaign, and what I'm planning uh, for the future. So if you don't want any spoilers, you can, you know, go ahead and maybe just put this one back on the shelf and listen to it maybe after the campaign's over. But if you don't mind spoilers, and again, uh, I'm going to be talking about what I'm planning on, um, which may or may not come to pass depending on the choices of the characters. So yeah, take everything that I'm going to say here with a grain of salt, but if you want to avoid potential spoilers entirely, yeah, just uh, skip over this one. And if you're interested, you can you know listen back after the campaign's over and uh, see if I was right or wrong about the things that I'm about to talk about. So first off, I guess what we're going to do is we're going to just do a quick recap of some of the major events that have happened in the God's Eye campaign since the last campaign planning episode. And then I'm going to sort of bring us up to speed as to like where the party is now in the Feywild. Um, I'm going to give a quick introduction to some of the Feywild characters that we, um, some we have met, some we're going to meet, and and then kind of like what I want to, I guess what I'm going to expect to happen, what I would like to happen, and my remaining objectives for the... Uh, for the sort of back portion of the campaign here, because I do think that we're really closing in on a few big events. And I would not at all be surprised if this campaign ends around episode 60, similar to the first campaign. So where to begin? Let's start with a quick recap of the major events that have happened since the last campaign planning episode. So the party, you know, they ventured through the underground keep, the old dwarven keep. They met Amarthane. They made a friend in him, or I should say an ally in him, which was fine. And they had a pretty good fight with the gibbering dragon, which I I thought went well. It was kind of a nail biter. And maybe would have been a little bit less of a nail biter if Kevin remembered that he had the luck feat. But you know, it's not my job <laughs> to, to remind the players of their abilities. Yeah, and I think Sarah and Matt have, have kind of been ragging on him a little bit for that. So maybe next time things get pretty dire, he'll pr- hopefully remember. Yeah, I don't have too much to comment on that. I thought it was I thought it was good. Um, I think in the last campaign, campaign planning episode, I mentioned that I wish I had the idea of a ghost really sooner. Because like the, by the time I thought of incorporating a ghost into the keep, they were already in it. And I didn't have the ability to make it a truly haunted house kind of experience. So, you know, something to for me to keep in mind for next time. After that, the big thing that happened was how the world reset, how the Beholder's version of reality is much different now. So a friend of the podcast, Ryan Howard, who does Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, which everybody should be checking out on a weekly basis, had this idea that the next version of the dream would be like um, 
you know, you jump forward. And I had already said that I, I didn't want to keep doing these sort of fetch quests because it really didn't feel like the plot was moving forward significantly enough uh, for my taste. So I wanted to, as I mentioned in one of the earlier planning episodes, I wanted to end this fetch quest cycle. Um, I didn't think it was strong in certain ways, again, that I had mentioned the reasons for that I had mentioned earlier, and I don't want to spend too much time here retreading it. So I wanted to sort of break that cycle. And, and what Ryan had suggested was that, you know, you jump forward, the world is already in shambles because there's been a whole bunch of God's Eye that's come down and everybody's already has already sort of gone to war over it. Um, so I wanted to maybe not go quite that far. So the world is like, there is a whole bunch more God's Eye. The world is fighting over it. Um, and it's now a race against the clock. So it's a different, I would say, a different kind of quest for the for the heroes. They they now don't have the luxury of like going out and finding individual pieces and like cr- using them for crafting. They have to find already made weapons, and they have to you know get to the beholder before the Grey Eladrin are able to wake him up. And the Grey Eladrin only need one more piece to complete their ritual and wake him up from his magically induced hibernation. So, and I, I remember somebody, I think it was, I think it was our good friend Al who had asked, you know, why didn't the beholder do this earlier? And that's, I thought that was a very good question. My, my take on that is that it's the beholder's personality. Uh, If you, if you read the Lord, the beholder is like, you know, thinks that everything is beneath it, thinks that everything is lesser than it. So it makes sense to me that it would underestimate its opposition. And so it didn't think that its own minions would be challenged to the degree that they have been. And so now it's finally become so impatient that it has it has basically advanced the chessboard to such a way that it's, you know, sort of like made in three for all my chess nerd friends out there. That means it's close to winning. So the party had a meeting with Bryce. He laid it all out and he laid out what they needed to do. And I legitimately gave them the choice of how they wanted to go about it. And I was 100% expecting that they would go into the Feywild. If anyone remembers back to the earlier episodes perhaps even episode zero, uh, we discussed some of the historical events of the world where the um, the Eladrin had sort of introduced themselves. They'd come out of the Feywild and brokered a truce between the warring human factions like decades ago. And in doing so, they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to take all these super powerful magic weapons out of here so that you're not capable of destroying each other to this degree anymore. And so those weapons have been sitting around in the Feywild ever since in a vault. And uh, Chai's background is a noble, part of a noble family connected to the courts in the Feywild. So it seemed pretty clear to me that they were going to end up there. And it was just a matter of time. So I'm happy that they're finally there now. What other big thing happened? Right, 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 right. So I think a potentially big thing happened. and. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. This may turn out to be nothing, but I suggested, you know, take take 
Beravon with you. He knows how to craft stuff. He's an Eladrin. He'll, you know, maybe help the group blend in. You'll have somebody else who can be your eyes and ears who doesn't stick out like a sore thumb in the Feywild, you know? But they decided to leave him there, and he got... He asked the party, what can I do to help you from here? And I think it was Sarah who had said, you know, can you, like, just try to find out more about what we're fighting? And they dug up the the death kiss that they <laughs> that they had killed before. I think they probably, like, a different iteration of the party fought and killed the death kiss, and... It had basically just been buried in rubble. So the arcane acolytes excavated it, and Baravon's going to do some research on this aberration corpse. And I think what that may, how that may come into play later is something I'm still not totally sure of. But if they, if they manage to beat the beholder, well, I guess a couple of things. A couple of options that I'm kicking around here is that when they get back, what kind of magic items are they going to have? And maybe Baravon could have invented something that maybe gives them some kind of protection from maybe one of the various eye rays that the Beholder has. So, it, you know, that will kind of make sense if the Death Kiss has like this eye attack, which I believe is fire damage if I'm recalling correctly, but I could be wrong. Maybe it gives them resistance to one type of damage from the eye or protection against some of its charm effects. Another thing would be to have him use his knowledge of what he finds doing his sort of dissections to concoct some kind of like ritual uh, to like undo the alien influence of the beholder. It's basically like its dreaming has warped the world and so maybe, like, once the battle is over, you know, is it like everybody wakes up from a bad dream and everything is just as they left it? Or, like, are the people they fought and killed still dead? I mean, that's going to be a that's going to be an interesting question. Maybe the people that it controlled are still alive. You know, the people that it forced to do its bidding, like the uh, the family of pilgrims that suddenly came after them or i anticipate that and again i'm gonna get a little bit ahead of myself here once the party shows up to the beholder's lair it's going to have a whole bunch of people and like minions that are going to fight for it and so maybe by doing this ritual it will save the life of those those minions something else that i'm anticipating and this is this could be uh maybe the final dilemma of of the of the story is that I absolutely am expecting Thaddeus to abandon his oath and, and like his oath, his agreement with Bryce and that he will kill Bryce once the fight with the beholders over. And by doing this ritual with Baravon to basically save the lives of all the innocent people that, that fought to protect it against their will, uh, that it will also bring, Bryce back to life, but Thaddeus in betraying his oath will no longer have his paladin powers, so he can't, he can't, um, he won't be on equal footing with Bryce anymore, and maybe his, the way that his story concludes will be that he is, he is facing down the, the choice of 
whether he accepts the outcome or that he makes a, a darker pact, that he chooses a, a worse path, that he swears a new oath, um, maybe he becomes an oath breaker and that's where his story goes. So it'll be interesting to find out. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. So anywho, let's jump, I guess, ahead to where we are now in the Feywild. And for me now, like things in the Feywild are starting to make a bit more sense because it's a more stable environment. There isn't all the shifting uh, reality, shifting dreamscapes, things like that, where people remember certain things and forget other things. Uh, and it's it's really feeling a lot more comfortable for me as a dungeon master where, you know, the I feel like the players are now more immersed in this setting because there's like these NPCs that are stable and they're, the NPCs aren't going to forget the players. And so they're making bonds with them. They're getting to know the the various parts of the Feywild and the courts and, you know, who, the, who do they trust? Who don't they trust? So yeah, I feel like it's more, even though the Feywild is a weird place, it is more of a typical environment in that way. So who are the players uh, going to run up against? So the big the big characters here are the Summer, que- Summer Queen, Queen Saffron, Queen of the Summer Court, um, her son Thane, who is Chai's uh, romantic interest. You have we have the three advisors to the queen: Rosemary, Carta, and uh, the th- Angelica. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, yeah, so those are the main characters. You have Chai's family. I think they'll play maybe a minor role, although Chai's family I'm sort of keeping as a potential potential leverage against Chai. If things get desperate enough, if Chai's position or their behavior gets them into deep enough trouble, then Chai's family is going to basically put themselves in the debt of the queen. Um, if you'll remember from the one of the previous episodes, I mentioned that the queen has amassed power by having people owe her favors. She will, you know, give you some kind of a boon, and in doing so, you are in debt to her. And so if Chai is somehow found to be breaking the law. It makes sense that her parents would say, "Can we, can we do something to make sure that our that our child isn't punished and will be in your debt?" And so that would be leverage to use against uh, Chai, saying that you know, like whatever you do now, your parents are in the are are in the queen's pocket. So I'm going to do a quick rundown of like the personality traits here, like these um, these characters and what they want. Because I guess when you're dealing with any NPC, like that's the most important thing is figuring out what, like, what does the everybody want something, right? Uh, the queen, I, I was coming up with some ideas about her personality traits, and notwithstanding the fact that the Eladrin are, you know, very mercur- mercurial and can change on a whim, like that doesn't really lend itself to making like a super interesting character if they can just suddenly change and there's no stability to them at all. Um, in, in terms of like how they behave, uh, it's, I don't know how you run a character like that. Maybe somebody else knows and can do it better and can explain it to me. But anyways, here's here's my thoughts. So the queen has been queen for quite some time. Going back to the, I think, some of the previous things that I mentioned that she she has trapped her sister, Serial. I won't retread the reasons, but basically Serial uh, and... Cilia were at cross purposes and 
Celia didn't want somebody challenging her authority to the extent that her sister was, and so she she basically uh, imprisoned her in this uh, in this place, magically imprisoned, I should say. That to me says like that she's a a real control freak. She equates her continued rule with stability of the Feywild. So like whatever happens, if the Feywild is to remain stable, then she has to remain in control. And I figured that she would also shelter her son like obsessively. Like she doesn't want anything to happen. I I think she's a parent and her her child is like the most important thing. Probably, you know, equally as important as her, as her power, I think. So when the party rolls up, like the queen's kind of suspicious, you know, Chai belongs there, the humans do not. And it's the time of omens. And so that's a pretty good excuse for really anybody to second guess the party's presence in the Feywild. Right. So that's that's her. Uh, she has three advisors. And as I've mentioned before, all three of them are hags in disguise. Uh, I don't think she... I don't I think she can maybe tell that they're not quite what they seem but I don't think she is willing to accept that they're hags. I think that they can give her enough of an edge and enough power that she's like almost blinded. She's sort of maybe in, in like immune to to hearing the truth about them, which is kind of what they want because um you know the hags are are work I'll get into it in a bit. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself again. So the next big character that uh, that's gonna I will anticipate working with the party quite a bit is Thane. Thane is Celia's son. He's a prince. What does he want? He wants to be a great hero. He's uh, he's tired of being sheltered. He's uh, he hasn't really been tested ever in his life, and he he sees Chai being sent out into like the mortal plane where dangerous things can actually happen. And, you know, he he wants to have his own esteem. He wants to have his own glory. And so he is going to be, a, he's a martial character. Cilia is also a martial character. She's kind of, I made her stat block already. She's kind of scary. So Thane wanted so badly to to be a hero that he he went ahead and deliberately like weakened the magical... Uh, bindings that were keeping Serial imprisoned. And that's how the Grey Aladrin got, like, suddenly came back on the scene, is that Serial and her minions were trapped there. Thane was like, you know, I I need an enemy to fight, an actual enemy. And uh, he didn't know that, like, releasing them would lead down this big path, like, connect them to Bryce, to the Beholder. Like, all of this stems from Thane um, wanting to be a hero because he's immature. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not even immaturity. Maybe it's just impulsiveness. So when I'm when I'm thinking about Thane and having released them, like, I ask, like, why hasn't he gone after the Grey Aladrin already? Like, he knows that they're a threat. He knows that, like, things are spiraling out of control. And uh, my my thoughts on this are that he... Even though he's impulsive, he's not stupid. I believe that he realizes he needs help to beat them. And so he's waiting for... I think he knows that Chai is going to come back. He can tell through various magical means, maybe scrying, 
um, or maybe just the necklace that that Chai wears that he gave to her, the functionality of which we've never touched on. And he knows that she'll come back and that he can sort of enlist her help. I mean, he might be able to, to go after the Grey Ladrin individually, but to go after Serial, um, like Serial's the big prize for him. Like beating up the Grey Ladrin, um, not super difficult. So, but like Serial to beat her would be not only to win a great victory, like worthy of a lot of accolades, but it would also have the connected benefit of exposing his mother um, for basically being a liar because the the narrative is that Serial has been lost or killed and to have people know, like to have, to have it known that Serial's been alive and now sort of wreaking havoc a little bit, it looks very bad for the Summer Queen. So it might, that might give him some kind of uh, play for, for taking over the Summer Court. Anywho, uh, let's talk about the advisors slash hags. So the hags are in the service of the fiend. And by the fiend, I mean Gutterbird's patron. So they are there to corrupt the prince and to throw the court into chaos. So they are there manipulating the prince and they're manipulating the queen. They want they want them to turn against each other. There's already some kind, you know, some hostility there just purely by virtue of their character traits and their wants um, are at opposition with each other. So there's already a little bit of tension there, but they really want to throw, like to throw the court into disarray because they're hags. They, they like to see order turn into disorder. Now, why are the hags there at the behest of the fiend? So... I've probably gone over this, but what the what the fiend wants? The fiend wants to not live in hell anymore. So he wants this um, obsidian shard of God's eye, and this is what is is keeping Serial imprisoned, and it's also giving her power, kind of paradoxically. But the shard itself is evil, and so it's it has a corrupting influence, and so. I think when the party fights Serial, they're going to have a chance to release her from its influence. Um, and I'll get back to that shortly. But um, something that I'm going to introduce somehow is that the God's Eye in the Feywild can actually be used to like create structures, create cities. The courts themselves, uh, as I first described, were like opaque glass. And like they were made out of shards of God's eye. And so what the fiend wants is this obsidian shard that he can plant into Feywild soil and make his own like fortress there. He wants to have like this corrupting influence in the Feywild. And I don't think he was ever about balance. He says he's always about balance, but I don't think he is. I think that's all been a lie. And I think he will do whatever it takes once he gets close enough to getting control of that. So he years ago saw some potential in Gutterbird as a as a person that who could uh, who could be an effective minion of his uh that he could engage in a pact and that 
he would be resourceful enough that he could help the fiend like achieve this goal. And here we are, like the party's now in the Feywild. He's got his warlock buddy in the Feywild. Like it's so close. He's given he's given Gutterbird now the the final directive. Like this is what you need to do. This is all what it's been leading up towards. And after that, you can have anything that you want that is within my power to give. So for that to happen, the party has to go deeper into the Feywild. They're going to go into the Shadowlands. They're going to fight Serial in the Grey Eladrin. And there they're going to learn about Gutterbird's past. They're going to learn that Serial is under the influence of the Obsidian Shard. And they're going to take the stone, probably, if they don't kill Serial. I think they're going to take the stone. I mean, even if they do kill her, they're going to take the stone because Gutterbird has, like, that's his that's his secret mission now, right? So the fiend is going. The fiend is going to demand it. Will they hand it over? I'm gonna say they won't. Which means I'm gonna have to figure out what they're gonna do with it. And it's gonna have like, as I said, it's it has a corrupting influence. So maybe it's gonna give them a lot of power. Here's an idea that just occurred to me. Maybe it's stupidly powerful, and like they can choose to hang on to it and use it against the beholder. But whoever does. Like, that's going to be a real kicker because, like, it's it's kind of like the one ring. Like, whoever uses it, they're not going to want to give it up, right? So if they give it to Thaddeus and he uses it and they fight the Beholder and they win, Thaddeus is not going to just say, okay, I've had enough. Like, the Chai and Gutterbird are going to say, okay, it's time to give it up. And he's going to say no. And the two of them versus him, I don't see it going well for them. I don't see it going well for, for anybody who tries to take it from whoever has it, right? So uh, that kind of begs the question, like, how are they going to, um, how are they going to beat, how are they going to beat Serial if it's if it's that powerful of an item? Well, maybe that's like a dampening effect that the Queen's magic had to imprison her there, is that it's, it's kind of keeping this thing a little under control. Kind of hand wave. You know, magic did it. So, like, how are we going to get the players there? Obviously, I don't know if, if Gutterbird's going to tell the party that, hey, my patron wants us to do this thing. I think that if he does, Thaddeus at least, probably both Thaddeus and Chai, will say, we absolutely should not do that. So why are they going to go there? Okay, so in Sarah's questionnaire, she has like this old teacher named Basil. And Basil and the prince, I think, are closer than Basil and the queen. So I think the prince is going to know that he has to have a a good reason, or maybe not a good reason, maybe extra incentive, because like they know, the party knows that the Grey Ladron are coming from this area and that they also have a leader. And so it kind of behooves them like maybe to, to go there regardless, but whether or not they do that before fighting the Beholder, like that's the question. But if we throw an NPC who has an emotional connection to one of the characters into danger, then I think that's going to prompt them to go there first. In Chai's questionnaire, she has this old teacher named Basil who taught her like all the druid stuff that she knew up until the point where the campaign started. And, and like she's very loyal to him. He's basically like family to her. And so the prince would know this. So the prince sends... Basil into that area to maybe scout things out 
knowing that he would probably get into trouble. Um, probably hoping that Basil would die, but not knowing for sure. So Basil's going to get captured. Serial um, is, I think, going to keep him as a, you know, as a bargaining chip for what she wants, which, of course, is to be released and to have her revenge against the queen. So, yeah, so that's how we're going to get the players there. It's a good old little bit of uh, leverage. Let's say they do this battle, they beat Serial, they take the Obsidian Shard, Fiend pops up, he says, hand it over, they say no. At that point, they're going to have a problem because the Fiend is going to say, if you don't obey, then like you're in violation of our agreement, right? You made a literal deal with the devil, and there's consequences to not fulfilling your end. This is where, this sort of ties back to the very, very beginning, where I think in episode two or three, the party was talking to a dwarf whose name I can't remember now, but that he had witnessed the party fighting Bryce and Bryce's forces. And at that point, Gutterbird was, uh, I think the phrase was, had harnessed the power of the forest. So I figured from the very beginning that it would be possible to get Gutterbird to change his patron. And I think if they can save Serial, she will become his new patron. Or maybe she, maybe not her specifically, but like she knows of some kind of like, maybe there's an entity in that area, which is is why the area itself is different. And so if the party refuses to hand over the Obsidian Shard to the Fiend, then that pact is broken. And the Fiend is going to try to basically kill all of them. We'll probably make Gutterbird vomit up a couple of demons that are then going to proceed to turn on the party as well. So, sorry, not demon, devils. A couple of devils show up. The Fiend himself may fight Serial. So Serial and the, and the Fiend square off. I guess it would probably have to be Serial as the new patron, Right? Because she would have to make that pact right there on the spot for Gutterbird to participate in in the fight, like for him to have powers. Otherwise, it would just be something that she they would have to basically run and find like maybe a shrine to this to this deity, make the pact, get him his powers, and then get back, you know, and trounce the fiend and uh, and his devils out of the Feywild. And then you have the party and the, until recently, Grey Aladrin, now all on the same side, right? Well, that's a good question. I don't know if the Grey Aladrin are going to be immediately enlisted to, like, fight the Beholder. I think that the, I think that Serial would, I think for the greater good, she would, she would, ask some of her followers to go with the party. I don't know if Serial herself would go in a weakened state after having just fought the party and then fiend. But here's the thing, like the party in that whole mess is also going to find out that the prince is responsible for all of this. And so the question is like, are they going to look past that? And have the prince go with him, because the prince is going to be able to hold his own, you know? He's no slouch in a fight. He's legitimately 
a decent fighter and he's going to add some actual strength to to the team, right? But could they also go back to the queen and say all of this has happened and we we can't we can't stand by the prince and you know he's been doing this and he's probably broken a whole bunch of laws. Um, will the queen give them back up? I don't know. So anyways, that's what I want to have happen. But first, before any of that happens, they are going to be needing to get their hands on these weapons, which is why they went into the Feywild in the first place. So where are the weapons? Now, I made a list of like probably six different places where I thought that like, you know, where would you keep weapons? Obviously, and this is like using a, a trick that I mentioned a few times or not a trick, a technique. Um, when you're brainstorming, it's like, write down like five ideas or 10 if you can. If you're just trying to think of something like a little bit creative, usually your first three are going to be the the most very obvious and, and therefore like not super creative. Um, and you don't have to use this technique for every single thing that you're trying to do. But if you're just wanting something to be like a little bit special, like if it's a big encounter with a boss or if it's like a big story moment or... Uh, a very like a once in a campaign heist like this something a little bit different so obviously a vault was my first choice and so I was like okay well a vault sure that does make sense and it's kind of hard to get past that Um, not only in game it's hard to get through a vault but it's conceptual it's hard to move on like where else would they be you know, I've already said that the queen is a control freak and she's kind of paranoid. So like, of course, she's going to be keeping them where she knows that they're going to be safe. So I was like, okay, a vault. But where? Where is this vault? Maybe there's a decoy vault, right? There's a vault that everybody knows about, but the weapons aren't there. So where are they then? Okay, well, now I'm starting to think of like other places. Well, they're in a swamp and they're protected by these like awakened trees and stuff. It, maybe they're like floating high up in the air, you know, and they're nobody knows that there's it's like you know sort of like on, on an airship or something like like that, you know, that's just super high up all the time. Um, but that to me didn't make sense. It didn't line up with her personality because like she does, she's not going to want all these super powerful magic weapons being miles and miles away in a swamp where she has no idea what's happening to them. You know, if somebody was trying to break in, sure, she'd have an alarm spell there to know that like, something was going wrong. But like, how quickly is she going to be able to get there? So then I kind of, I, I don't know how exactly this idea occurred to me, but I i had this, I wanted the queen to have something about her. And I just kind of randomly dropped, like came to birds. And I was like, okay, the queen's going to have all these birds. Um, She loves like these exotic birds. And I originally thought, okay, she has these birds and they, like, wherever the players go, you know, there can be a bird there just kind of, like, watching stuff. And, like, these birds, like, they watch everything going on all around the city, right? And they can report back to the queen. So she knows everything that's happening. She doesn't need spies. She doesn't need Aladrin spies. She has birds. She can see everything that's going on. And then it hit me, like, in, in a recent episode, we meet the queen and she has this aviary and and it hit me like the birds are the magic weapons like she has used some crazy magic to polymorph if that's the right word i I don't know transfigure the magic weapons into 
something that looks and sounds and behaves like a bird, an obedient bird. And and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because they're she's with them all the time. They're hiding in plain sight. That's the best kind of that's the best kind of secret. So the question is like, how do we allow the players to figure this out? There is a decoy. So I kept the idea of the decoy vault, right? And then there is the actual magic items. So I had the idea of having a couple of couple of things still in the vault. One is an alarm bird and one is a sword bird. And I have to give a big shout out to Nexus Kid for helping me sort of think through this. Um, and I was thinking like, well, how do I allow the players to connect the dots? How do I telegraph that like this is what's happening? Um, because I don't want them to be humming and hawing and spending 30 minutes just on useless ideas. And then I just end up telling them what the answer is. So the the best way to to have done it is once they they're going to go after the decoy vault obviously they don't know it's decoy um and so they're going to go after the decoy vault and once they get in they will be attacked by a bird um and it is you know it was it is a sword so once they do some damage it's going to just transform back into its regular sword self and clatter to the ground and i mean i don't think there's any uh clear way to to show to show exactly what has happened and i you know I, I just have to make sure that i describe these as like exotic birds so that they connect these birds to the ones in the queen's aviary um and there will be a second bird in the vault too and this one all it does is escape and fly away to the queen and alert the queen so hopefully the uh you know the, the party gets a little bit thrown off by the fact that there's, you know, one bird that's just suddenly all up in their face and this other one's just going to try to slip by. After that, they're going to have to basically break into the queen's chambers, kill all of her birds, turn them back into magic weapons, steal them, and then leave. And so that will lead us to the dilemma if the series of events that I've been describing is kind of what plays out then they're going to be in this dilemma of we have sided with the prince who is the cause of all of these problems and we can't go back to the queen easily because we have just committed serious crimes and stolen from her. So what do you do then? I mean, that is a quandary. I guess just to sort of wrap things up here, some some remaining lingering questions that I have. So... There was a chase scene earlier in the campaign where a couple of enemies showed up and they were called the Quiet, and I had talked to Ryan Howard about designing these um, antagonists quite a while ago. And I really like the the concept of the Quiet. I like their lore. I haven't found a really great time to bring them back in, you know? So I'm at this crossroads of like, do I try to bring them back in or do I not? Like it at this stage, it would almost feel like I'm forcing it. So what I'm going to do is keep them in my back pocket. So the quiet, like they want God's eye because like they have been, again, just to briefly recap what I've said about them before. They previously were like hobgoblins. So they're like a militaristic peoples. 
they were transformed by you know the magical influence of, of God's eye in a in a really awful way. So it made them stronger, but you know it it made them so that they can't speak, that they are they look more fearsome. Um, I don't think that they like the way that it's transformed them, and they want to go back. They want to undo the influence and try to. I think they view it as a curse, even though even though they are powerful. So they just want to get like their hands on a certain amount of God's eye, so that they can try to undo it. And so, like to any anybody that they can side with, I think they would be reasonable. They would be tough and stern but reasonable i think allies might be a bit of a stretch but like even partners is maybe not the right word an uneasy okay uneasy alliance sure i think i'll try to mention that and that they can potentially make it agreement but because they know like the, the gray ladron they already have a bunch you know they have at least two pieces maybe three and i just realized like if Serial is no longer under the influence, does that mean all of her? If <laughs> yeah, just to go back, if Serial suddenly is no longer evil, like um, what happens to the rest of the Gray Aladrin? Like, do they instantly become not evil? I don't think so, because like there's still ones out there in the mortal plane. They're far removed, and I I don't think that they would. Yeah, no, because like the party still has to stop them, right? I mean, even if the Aladrin fail to wake up the Beholder, they still have to kill it, right? And the Beholder, like fighting the Beholder, even when it's hibernating, is going to be tough. Um, sorry, okay. So, yeah, so maybe they can make an agreement with the Quiet to, you know, if you help us fight this thing, you, you can take the God's Eye that the Grey Aladrin have, that, yeah, the Grey Aladrin have collected so far. Another question that I kind of touched on briefly, like who is the Beholder going to have in its service as a minion? Like, not Bryce anymore. Uh, a couple of the Grey Aladrin. Um, I think maybe like Rune and the Knights of the Web. Like the party deceived them, and so I think that Rune now would like uh, and and her knights would look at the party as enemies. But like even even aside from that, I think that. The Beholder could corrupt them and basically make them thralls in the same way that Mind Flayers kind of uh, make thralls. And uh, and yeah, and really any of the townspeople of um, Rinvale, it could it could press into service. And I think lastly, just to, just to quickly touch on something that uh, may or may not, I can't remember if it's been mentioned in the episodes so far, I don't think it has, but anyways, I'm going to be including clocks, ticking clocks, uh, as used in Blades in the Dark, and I've posted this a couple of times in the like uh, Discord and the uh, Dungeon Master group in Facebook about uh, ticking clocks. So there's going to be two clocks. Um, one will be one clock will be for like a suspicion level, and so if they are careless. Or if they do things that are unwise, um, I'm going to say, hey, I'm filling up a segment of his clock. If the clock fills up, then someone is suspicious of you and it's going to be harder for you to go about the like this the the Feywild and do anything without people like 
constantly spying on you. Um, and maybe you'll be arrested if you do things that are really out of line. And another ticking clock is going to be the Grail Adrin getting that last piece of God's eye and waking up the Beholder. I mean, that's another aspect that I hadn't even considered. Like, if they delay long enough, that clock could fill up, the Beholder awakens, and it fulfills its part of the bargain by charging into the Feywild and... That would be nuts. That would be pretty nuts, right? Ticking clocks are great. Uh, it it provides a sense of urgency to the players, and and lets them know that you know even while you're here doing things like the bad guys are out there working towards their own, ob- own objectives, and so you can't lollygag. I just think it's such a great extra aspect to the game of even just even just in a much smaller sense like. If you're trying to sneak around and you fail a stealth roll, like, are you automatically found out? Like, it's, I think it helps build tension too. So if you're, if, you know, just in a wider context, like if you are, if you're having this mission where you're trying to sneak in, or like, in this case, break into a vault, and you're going to have like multiple stealth checks, like different guard checkpoints, uh, different levels to this fortress where you have to sneak through like is one failed stealth check going to alert everyone or is it just going to make one guard say like i think i heard something down there and then like they have to reposition and maybe the next dc stealth check is a little bit tougher because a few of the guards are on edge but like it adds tension like if they fail a couple times that clock is ticking up and if it fills all the way up it's going to be yeah somebody knows that there are intruders here and they're going to sound the full-on alarm. So, yeah, I think it's a fantastic way. I'm excited to to get them going. Um, fantastic way to add tension and and really easily keep track of of how your not only how your players are doing, but like what are, what are your villains doing? Anyways, that's uh, I think I think I'm about done rambling now. And uh, I'm sure we'll have another one, hopefully. I think I said this last time, but uh, not quite so long until the next one. Um, I think we're getting to the point where like bigger things are happening more frequently. And so I think I'll probably have some stuff to talk about again before too long. So uh, apologies for the long wait, but I hope this was interesting at the very least. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Until next time.